Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? We are here for another episode of Believe in Kentucky. My name is Benny Hardy. We got AG Aaron Gershaw from the Cats Pose, the QB1, Jalen Whitlow in here. Fellas, man, how's everybody doing? Oh, man, it's good to be home. <laughs> I feel like I've been on the road all of February with this basketball team. We were just talking before, man, it feels like they've been on the road all month. So it's good to be back. Uh, and Laps got back a few hours ago. Um, and good to see the basketball team is going to not give us a march off. So that's good. And, uh, obviously you got spring football, man. It's a week and a half away, less than two weeks now. And, uh, like you brought up and slipped my mind, NFL combine, obviously this is really the one show, you know, we're going to get to see Will Levis since, uh, you know, the Louisville game. So some, some exciting stuff. It feels like it's quiet and it's all basketball right now, but there's a lot going on quite sneaky quietly. You were in the the new and improved O Dome, right? The, yeah. Okay. And you're talking about how how nice it is down there before we oh. started recording. My question though is is how how close were you to over Velociraptor girl that was screaming all night? <laughs> My God, I did. To be honest with you, I I, I didn't even hear it and know about it. I do. I. It's funny, man. I. I it, that's what's hard about sometimes with these games is you know, you're so focused on the floor and then you're focused on what you're writing and you miss little things like that, you know, unless you're really scanning pregame. So I didn't see that. And I actually, you know, the well, I'm sure we'll talk about it, the fan grabbing Case and Wallace. I didn't see that happen, but I did see Chin Coleman go at them and start walking across the court to yell at them. And then, you know, he pointed them out and that's when they got ejected. So it was actually Chin Coleman's reaction to the whole situation. I didn't even know why they were getting ejected. And then, you know, I turned on the Twitter machine and saw, I was like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. And uh, those guys all had beers in their hands and clearly had a few too many and led to them doing something pretty stupid. Um, and that is what happened. So I actually missed the two events that, uh, outside of the action on the court kind of got everyone's attention, but, um, that that's just how it goes sometimes with how, how much is going on at once. She was yeah. shrieking though. Like that's what I heard on Tom Leach and, and, and Jack Givens for on the UK network. And it was a scream, but a shrill yeah. high pitch. I don't know how she wasn't hoarse by halftime, but I, Apparently she, she does this every going. home game. I don't know how she does this all season. <laughs> and, and bless, bless her heart. Bless the floor. Like somebody said today, bless the Florida play-by-play guys. Bless them, yeah. All year long, and I guess every visiting radio crew, you know, has, has got to hear that. Oh. I just wondered, is, is there? I don't really listen to death metal. Is there? Is there a girl death metal <laughs> band where she can just? Where I mean, maybe maybe that's the. A feel she can pursue, man. Uh, she must be a freshman because UK plays oh, down there every year, and we haven't heard that one yet. She's a senior because Tom. She's Hart, a senior. Tom Hart and them they they panned on her during the game. Oh my gosh, yeah, I I, I don't remember this though. Minutes. I mean, I guess she I guess had you had the minutes of fame last night. 
I guess you had the COVID season, so I, maybe she wasn't in the building, you know, two years ago. But I don't remember that last year when UK played down there. That's yeah, that's wild, man. I did not hear that. The student section was great. The uh, the rest of the the stadium, uh, arena though, it was just not. You know, typically Florida is one of the tougher places to play, and I think kind of you know the Castle Colin Castleton's injury, five hundred. Unless they win the SEC tournament, you know they're not going to go dancing this year. I think kind of the air has kind of been sucked out of the basketball balloon and baseball. They're the second ranked team in America, though. <laughs> they choked away a game, allowing seven runs in the ninth inning over you know across the street over at their baseball stadium, which I heard uh, had a pretty good crowd. So I, I guess they're on the. You know, it'd be fun if UK was that good at baseball where, you know, if basketball didn't go well, you can kind of click over to that and uh, put your eggs in those basket. But that that sounds to be what's, you know, sounds like what's going on in Gainesville is that and also losing every assistant coach to the NFL. That's been happening a lot uh, on the football side of things. DC's leaving now. DC left for the Cardinals, wide receiver coach for the Cardinals, tight ends coach. I think might have also been Arizona, might have been that indie staff. I know, you know, those two Eagles coordinators kind of got to their their new spots late. So they're purging some college staffs with, uh, you know, some of the other NFL staffs already filled up. I don't blame those guys, though. No. I think that uh, that that college coaching gig, man, is, 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 you know, a lot of those guys who are doing it, they don't want to do it. I mean, they're doing it because the money's really good. Right. Uh, you know, so – I expect to see, and this is crazy, but I, I, I think you're going to start seeing some guys who leave college and go and maybe take a couple of years and coach in the XFL or USFL. I mean. It's a better I lifestyle, mean, right? Yeah, yeah. The lifestyle in college football is freaking crazy, man. Like, it, <laughs> Especially <it's> now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not it, – it makes no balance for family life. So mm-hmm. if you're a man who want to actually, like, raise your kids – um good luck man you know good luck i mean you do right. the best you can but and again the money's so good where a lot of those guys uh you know i'm sure they say eventually i'm gonna get out eventually i'm gonna get out and before you know it 12 15 20 years has passed and you've been coaching college ball and you know look i had a a a, a girl who lived on my floor in the dorm who her dad was one of my coaches at kentucky she told me she only saw her dad when she, you know, at it was never like daytime outside, especially during the season. Whether yeah. five a.m. when he was leaving, or after midnight when he got home, that's Jeez. the only time. She, so, you know, I, I expect to see a mass exodus. And I said this when um when this when this thing started to change, when recruits started to change, I told somebody this. Yeah. I was like, you see a lot of coaches get out of college coaching because mm-hmm. you know the the couple weeks that they had to like actually spend the money that they make, you know, is gone now, you know? So, um, you know, I think they may have, some of those guys may get, may get like seven days out of the year where they don't have to be, you know, actively recruiting and coaching. Um, and that's just a tough lifestyle, man. So uh, that's tough on anybody's family. So um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame them at all. You know, I'm sure no. obviously the pay is not as good, but if you could be a head coach, I'm not sure what the head coach in the USFL or XFL make, but, um, if you can get to the NFL or one of these pro leagues and, you know, make close to a hundred thousand, I'm sure they'll settle for that, especially if they've been in a college game for a few years and they made, you know, whatever they've been making. So, um, you know, I, I expect to see more of that in the near future. Man, literally, I mean, 5 a.m. to 12 a.m. That's a 19 hour day. Uh, so literally 
burning the candle at both ends. I mean, you hear people say that, but that's that's really what's going on, man. Yeah. Yep, she, told, she told me she only seen her dad. Her dad always had to wake her up to say bye or hey. You know, it was always him waking her up to to, to do that, during, especially during the season. Now, off season, sometimes she saw him during the day, but when she told me that, I knew right then I did not want to be a <laughs> let alone raising a family. Bro, I want right. to do some shit sometimes. I want to go fishing and like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you want to you know live. <laughs> I want to I want to live life, but it's I mean, I guess they do it and you know, this guy's now out of college culture now. He's you know, he he he's made a good living, but it, it came with a price, man. Yeah, and you got to admit that that's why, you know, always hear coaches' wives are the strongest women there are because they are putting up with a lot. They're doing a lot of the, you know, a lot of the parenting on uh, both sides. So, yeah, yeah, it it is a tough – it's a tough gig, man, and uh, especially now. I mean, obviously it was the story you brought up. It it shows you it's been that way for a while, uh, at least for the last nine years or so, but – now with that transfer portal, I mean, I just remember, I think, I can't remember which press conference it was with Stoops. It might have been, I don't think it was signing day. Uh, it was, um, it was the, the first week of December, like uh, after the bowl game was released, what bowl game they're going to be in. And obviously the transfer portal had opened. So you're starting to recruit. You're having the conversations with your own guys and you're up against the clock, you know, with the high school signing day. His eyes, man, were so – the bags under his eyes were like – you just wanted – you felt bad. You wanted him to just go and sleep right there. You felt – you could tell he's <laughs> working his ass off, you know, a million different things going on. Uh, so it, it's, it just feels like – I, I don't know, Jalen, you're a coach, but it, it feels like coaching football is almost the easy part of that job right now where, oh. you know, that, that oh, just yeah. seems like the easy, enjoyable part where everything else oh. is the hard, stressful. A hundred percent, man. Those guys will, they will kill to just coach football. Yeah. And that's what the NFL get, is for the most part. Yeah. And the NFL actually get NFL, NFL coaches. If you add it all up, you got, you know, you got OTAs, mm-hmm. training camp, rookie minute camp. But if you add their time off, if you add it all up, some sometimes I mean they they probably get about three months off of coaching, right? Maybe maybe more, you know, if because football season is from for them from late July till hopefully February, but right. in most people it's not. But you know, you if you add it all up, those guys probably get a, a a total of three plus months where they don't necessarily have to be in the facility. They don't have to recruit. They don't have to really coach on the field. They get time away from the game. And it's healthy, you know, so sure. uh, I only, you know, I could only imagine, man, you know, you're going to get Lincoln Riley. You're going to get some of those guys. The older they get, they're going to try to escape and get to the league. I mean, even Nick Saban did. It just yeah. didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just natural, man. Like, you know, I don't I don't know how Nick Saban does it at 70, but um, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just Brown, natural. Yeah. You know? yeah, I mean, you see uh, Willie Taggart with the Ravens now. Running back coach with the hard oh, ball. He's probably yeah. so excited. Yeah, I mean, I man, I would be making you know whatever he's making. Shit, man, I don't have to. I don't have to call seventeen year old kids all day. I mean, man, that's that's, <laughs> that's 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 a lovely life, you know. And I can actually like have a relationship with my wife, man. That's crazy. Yeah, unbelievable. Oh, as y'all know, everybody can go to bleed.com to get this episode of the podcast as well as. The archived episodes, 
you know, our episodes with guests, episodes with just us, however you want to do it, check them out. Uh, upcoming episodes, just subscribe. It'll come right to your device. You don't have to look for it. It'll come right to you. Believe.com. A Sea of Blue also puts these up on their site. We definitely appreciate that as well. And follow us at Believe in Kentucky on Twitter and throw little TikToks out there every now and then, Facebook page and Instagram and all that. Uh, what do I put the little TikTok of Jalen saying that, you know, I'm going to come out of retirement based on what <laughs> that clip last week. We put that out there. And so, you know, put little stuff out every now and then. Uh, speaking of coaching and, and getting promoting and hiring and all that, former cat, guest on this podcast, mm-hmm. CJ Conrad, uh, gets promoted from GA to quality control coach for offense. So he's diving on into it. So congrats. He won't be guys. sleeping much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, he, oh, he didn't sleep at all as a GA. Yeah, I was going to say, he might even get next 30 minutes. Who knows? As a GA, I, I mean, I got a little bit of – a little bit, and by the way, that that uh that clip, you know, I had the kid kids that I coached and trained hit me up talking about it. It was funny, um, so it, <laughs> you know, it, it was able to reach a few people. But um, <laughs> but yeah, the, you know, as a, when I was a student assistant, you know, we we would have games when I was at Eastern finishing up my degree. We would have games in Tennessee or whatever, uh, and you know we would get back at like two a.m. or three a.m. Oh, we had to be right back in the facility at like five thirty a.m. to break down the. F- I mean, you know, so it was it, you know, sleep was like golden. You know, if you could get some sleep. So, uh, but shout out to him, man. When you don't have kids and you know you got a chance to you know really do it, hey, now's the time to to get into it. I guess so. That, I'm sure as fast as he's moving up, I'm pretty sure it next year or the year after he'll be a tight ends coach somewhere. Maybe Vince just focuses on recruiting, <laughs> though he loves his tight ends, though. I, I don't know. I don't know yeah, if he could do it. Yeah, it's hard for me to see that. <laughs> it's hard for me to see that. <laughs> Hey, I mean, it, you know, wouldn't be a bad idea. And Mike Pryfer was named a uh, quality control coach for special teams. Specials. So yep. uh, got those got don't want to leave him out either. So yeah, that's important that they're they're taking special teams very seriously this yes. offseason. They've definitely Mark Stoops saw enough last year, and that's good. And it's going to be you know I I wrote that story I think two days ago about ten storylines to watch. You know with spring ball coming up here, and you know it, <laughs> I had to include it, man. Finding who out who your kicker and, and long snapper are going to be. You feel pretty good about your punter. It's amazing we have to talk about all this, but this is how bad it was last year. But, uh, you know, you feel pretty good about Wilson Barry at punter. He did a pretty good job after Goodfellow got hurt. But mm-hmm. it's so important to have someone you could trust to, you know, once you get to the 30-yard line to put it through a 47-yarder, uh, put uh, take a little pressure off the offense. I think that was a big – I think that was, you know, there was a lot of issues with the offense last year, but I do think that part of it was – they felt like they had to score seven every time or, or six because the extra point didn't always go through. Um, but uh, they felt like they had to get in the end zone every drive because if they didn't, you know, if they didn't, even if it was a chip shot, man, they just weren't making kicks, whether it was Ruffalo, whether it was the snap, something was wrong with, with the special team. So uh, they got to iron that out, but it's going to be really interesting to, to kind of see who, uh, who they roll with that place kicker and then at, at the long snapper position because those will both be up for grabs. And as we learned last year, they are, uh, you know, they're, especially long snapper, you don't really know the kid's name unless 
they screw up. I mean, Blake Best for those four years from I think it was 15 to 19, didn't have one bad snap, and you never really heard his name till his senior day, and you were like, man, he was pretty good. So it's just it's one of those things where uh, that's, I think, one of the important things they kind of iron out during these spring practices and, you know, have someone have someone with confidence built up, you know, heading into summer camp and then eventually, you know, week one in September. So March 6th through April 8th is spring practice. So at this point, Jalen, this is a week and a half away. What what are the players doing? Take us into into the facility. What are the players doing at this point? Because you know you got to be ramping up and getting ready, or you you trying to get a little bit extra rest. What what are you doing? You trying to get some more massages in? Have you already been you know lifting, throwing? What's what's been going on? Yeah, they definitely been you know. Uh, we, like we kind of talked about this on one of the things, uh, but I'll, I'll go a little bit more detail with this one. So, you know, they usually most people go off like a six, seven or eight week program. A lot of times six week program when it comes to, you know, strength and conditioning, speed training, all the good stuff, change of direction. Um, and, you know, they've been doing stations. They've been posting that. By the way, whoever runs the, the UK football uh, social media platforms do a really good job with that. But yeah, they uh, are. But yeah, usually in the six week program, so they'll be wrapping that program up. So they'll start to taper off a little bit in the weight room just to get guys' bodies back a little bit when it comes to like, you know, muscle recovery, joint recovery. Um, and you know, I, they, they won't stop lifting, but they'll kind of taper off just a tad. Um, but you know, they've been meeting as an offense position groups uh, install meetings, so. Usually you go through, they try to go through install, you know, I think of it going through install four times a year. Pre-spring, you go through install in the meeting room and you send guys out to throw uh, just just the players usually. Sometimes uh, you have an equipment manager out there to snap and do stuff like that. But uh, then they install in the spring, then they install in the summer uh, based on what the coach want. Um, and then they install in fall camp. So, you know, that's so they're in the first phase of that, like install period uh, where, where they're going to install in the spring. It's probably already in. Uh, so now they just got to get on the field and do it with the coaches. So uh, that goes on. Uh, another thing that goes on is um, just for players, from a player standpoint, is just making sure academically I got everything in order. That's how I used to think. Let me make sure that I don't have anything outstanding where I got to I got to rush to do at the start of spring ball, I want to, I want spring ball to become as fluid as it possibly can, as stress free as as possible, where I can, you know, I can get my meetings in, I can get my practice in, and not have to worry about, uh, you know, any big projects or big papers that's due. Um, but you know, also, you know, I'm sure Coach Stevens is me with him, wrapping them up, getting them ready for, you know, look, last year was unacceptable in ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, in some ways, very acceptable. We just want to build on it. So I'm sure he's been talking to him, wrapping him up. And, you know, once that first day of spring kickoff, man, it'll be uh, they'll be rolling. You know, coaches get a little bit busier, players get a little bit busier because they're still going to be lifting, you know, still got classes, still got tutors and that type of thing. So, um, you know, it's, again, it's, it's an exciting time. You know, it's an exciting time. You got guys who still try to, you know, gain weight or maintain weight. It gets a little bit harder during this time if you're trying to gain uh, because you're sweating, obviously you're putting out more. So there's just a lot of little things that that goes on behind the scenes that uh, um, you know, most people don't think about. You know, 
but all in all, in my opinion, I think this is this is probably one of the most fun times because, you know, you get days off in between spring ball. You're not practicing every single day on the field. So um, your body get a chance to recover. You're not throwing, you know, 100 plus high velocity balls every day. So when you feel fresh that next spring practice, uh, you feel, you know, feel ready to go. So, you know, uh, it'll be exciting. They'll try to, once the install is in, they'll try to throw uh, little things out there that may have bothered them last year. Like, for instance, on offense, I know we always try to do, okay, we have day one install in once we cycle back to day one. So some teams do like day one, day two, day three, four, five, six, seven, whatever it may be. But once you cycle back to day one, you start to add wrinkles to whatever you install. So, and now they'll try to add, okay, last year South Carolina hurt us with this. Let's see this in practice with scout team, or let's see this in practice. Uh, let's ask our defense to give us this look so we can work on this because we know we struggled with it last year. We're probably going to see it a few more times this year too. So just little stuff like that, man. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of strategy that goes into it from a cultural standpoint, but for players, it's fun because, you know, you go all out for a practice, get a day off. And, and do it again, you know, the, you know, a couple of days after. So uh, exciting times. How much, I mean, how much will they, how much weight does it carry? Like you said, what South Carolina hurt us with because you have Liam coming back, Skang not. Right. Will what South Carolina did hurt them this time around? Are they, Will they focus on what hurt them as much since you're getting a new OC and a new philosophy and all that? Are you going to put as much emphasis on weaknesses and things that were exploited last year, or are you just kind of starting fresh with that? How how are they going to approach that? That's a, that's a good question. I think the way I would approach it, not the way that I've been taught to approach it and that I've learned from other coaches is that spring ball is all about what we do. But there are periods in practice where we sprinkle a couple reps of, you know, no matter what, South Carolina, it was, or whatever team, yes, it was a different OC, but some of those players are the same players. So they need to, they need to see that again. They need to see it and how do I correct it? How do I, you know, what's in my toolbox where I can, um, I can beat this look or I can, you know, uh, make the right check at quarterback or I can make the right read at quarterback or I can, whatever it may be, you know, what's our route adjustment off this? Cause usually it's, it's, it's a lot of times it's uh it's kind of like monkey see monkey do. When you see a team have success on you next year, you can guarantee that there's somebody else going to try that. Cause maybe you have a weakness. Now it's a different OC. So you may not see it as much. Uh, but you know, if, if a team has success on you, one thing, and especially when you got like the defense side of the ball where the coaches are coming back. So whoever has success on Kentucky's defense, they're going to see that quite a bit, you know, next year. Um, so if I'm Stoops, if I'm, if I'm Brad White, I'm showing them that in spring. And I've probably showed them some pre-spring when it comes to our meetings. So, yes, they do want to do that. They do want to iron that out. And you kind of throw a lot of different things out in spring. Like you said, once you install day one, day two, day three, et cetera, once you cycle back and kind of start to add tweaks and, and 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 variations off your base stuff, you start to throw different looks out there to see how our, how guys react to it. That way, when you get into the you get into the season, okay, our center seen this stunt, you know, twenty times in all season. So now when you see it in the game, you know it's not foreign to them. You know what I'm saying? So they try to try to get those questions answered in the off season as much as they can. But you're always going to see something new. 
uh, and I wonder, it's really hard to replicate or even practice it, but you know, the, the one offense that Tennessee, or excuse me, yeah, gave it away, but the one offense <laughs> that Kentucky has, or uh, Kentucky's defense hasn't been able to handle the last two years is Tennessee. And obviously that's such an important game every year, not just for the rivalry standpoint, but uh, in the division standings and, you know, trying to get to Atlanta, you got to win that game if you're going to get there. I wonder, I mean, did they spend any time working on that? I mean, you, I know, yeah, they, they do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you do. And, and especially, and I and I told the kid, I you know, you know, I told you, I, told, I coached one of the quarterbacks at Tennessee, and I told him mm-hmm. when I was training him a few weeks ago, I told him, I was like, you know that hype was going to have some new stuff in, in there for spring ball for y'all. Y'all not going to come out and do exactly mm-hmm. the same install y'all did last year because – Every defensive coordinator that Tennessee's played and even the D coordinators that Tennessee didn't play are studying how do we slow this down, yeah. you know? So um, they got to try to adjust at Tennessee speaking. Now, Kentucky coaches, you better, you know, have some some time spent to that because you that's one of those things that you cannot replicate. So this is one right. way to do it. They'll have two offenses, two huddles, or scout team offense or whatever, and they'll keep the same defense in there. And the scout, this scout team offense, this group of 11 will run a play. And immediately after that ball is completed or the, the whistle's blown, this group is on the ball running the next play. So that's one way they get used to that. And I'm sure they'll do that, you know, because you have to nowadays. Yeah. And nowadays you have to have – you got to build your defense off of tempo, in my opinion, because everybody's doing it to some degree. Nobody's doing it on the level of Tennessee, but everybody's doing it to some degree. Even Ole Miss is doing it really well to where it's a totally different sport almost if you're not ready for that. Because now, you know, instead of getting the ball snapped 70 times in a game, you know, God forbid somebody snapped the ball 90. You know, you got to have – it's a different ball game, especially for those big guys up front. So you got to prepare for that. You got to figure out ways to communicate. You got to shorten communication. uh, And those guys need practice with that. So um, that that's one thing that I think that I know for a fact that Stoops has spent ample amount of time on this offseason. Let me ask you this too, and we got. Of course, we'll definitely get to to the basketball and and the sweeping of Tennessee and and the Florida game and and all that good stuff too. But the unique situation that Kentucky's in now is, you know, you you have Cohen here, he leaves, Skane comes in, and you know they part ways. You bring Liam back. Will Liam double up on? Okay, this is what hurt us last year under the previous OC. And will he also go back to stuff that hurt when he was there that, you know, defenses maybe found weaknesses in? Will he kind of throw both of them at the offense? Like you said, you look back at what hurt us last year. Well, you know, Scangarello, that's what caused him trouble. But will he go back to what caused him problems in his initial season at Kentucky? Is he going to do, is he going to double dip like that? Man, that's a good question. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. He, he definitely will. Uh, and I think the biggest thing, he he won't, again, spring is about Kentucky or whoever, wherever you're coaching. So he, they won't spend a whole bunch of time with it, but they're going to throw it out there. And I think the biggest thing is he's made, he's made changes with his scheme that's going to be able to better suit them when they see those situations. So he may not go back and, like, you know, spend a lot of time on seeing this stunt or this coverage or this look, but he'll, he'll he, you know, as all good coaches do, they tweak their scheme every year because the the game is always changing. So they, they tweak the scheme. So now when they see that situation, they're not really worried about it because 
they have the answer in the toolbox. So um, that that that's a really good question. And, you know, and that's one of those things where I would like to be in the room to see how he handled that. And I'm sure he's working on some things that he faced this year or this past season in the NFL. Because yeah. whatever, you know, whoever the, the Cardinals may have did that gave him fits, he's going to figure out, okay, if we play, you know, Bama this year and they give us this, how do we handle this? We didn't handle this well in L.A. So they may, you know, the good coaches, they may go back and watch some L.A. film. I know I would. You know, and that's what they get. So in the offseason, all of those guys got binders. So, you know, you go back, you go in Liam Cohen's office, he got a binder of every single team in SEC with notes, film, everything, personnel. And they take, they watch film all offseason. They take notes. Okay, uh, they did this. So you, you, and we all know this, the GOAT, you know, Coach Saban has a binder of the L.A. Rams because they played Kentucky this year. This is what Liam Cohen did as an OC against, you know, Green Bay or whatever, right? This is what he did against Arizona, you know? So they 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 study each other to a T, man. They, you know, we just talked about the money they make. They, they earn this money. <laughs> they they go into detail. They earn the money. So they they take time and, and get in and get in the weeds of it in the offseason. So I'm excited to see. That's the fun of coaching, in my opinion, the chess match, you know, the little games played within the game. So we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Oh, man, A.G., I meant to mention it last week, but uh, look, you, you can always plug whatever you're writing on the cast mm-hmm. pause, but your piece flipping to basketball where you ask everybody if, if there were just three players from the Cal era that you could bring uh. back onto this team, man, I think, you know, got a lot of people responding. I've seen you, you know, interacting with mm-hmm. people giving you who they thought should be on this team. And that was, that was just a good idea, man. How'd you how'd you come no, up with it? I appreciate it. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Well, I didn't think there would be an NCAA tournament. So I was looking, <laughs> so I was looking for something, you know, one that just, you know, got people reading and wanting to read about Kentucky basketball because when it's negative, you know, people don't want to read it. And I get that. Uh obviously John Calipari lobbies for that, but uh all that good stuff. But that it was after the Georgia game, and I was just trying to think, you know my big issue with the performance they had at Georgia and obviously to their credit, they haven't lost the game since was they looked lethargic. I mean, the, the bench was just, there was nothing, no energy. They just didn't seem to want to be there. The fight was lacking. And obviously we all knew, know the issues or at least knew the issues that Kentucky had when they were losing games, which was, you know, they just couldn't finish off teams if they had a lead they didn't hit shots enough. It just a combination of those type of things, a lot of offensive issues. And then it kind of swelled into some defense issues later. But uh, so I just kind of came up with three guys that I kind of thought fit that bill as kind of closers and, you know, kind of had that, that dog in them as people would say nowadays. And that's where I came up with, you know, Tyler hero, who obviously, you know, you just think of the confidence that kid had, man, with the, I'm a bucket stuff with their, it was taking any, any big shot. He wanted the ball in his hands and, you know, he obviously met a couple of them. The last NCAA tournament win uh, Kentucky had, you know, they were down by one PJ Washington has that block, you know, they bring it back to the floor on the other end. And it's Tyler hero who had an awful shooting game, who drains a three at the end of that game to win it. So, you know, that type of player, um, I think I went with, uh, I went with, uh, who'd I go with Willie Colley Stein, just to have that enforcer in the front court because Oscar Shibway, you know, as good of a rebounder as he's been all year, good, good scorer, 
you know, it hasn't been a good defensive season and they just need that aggressor. And we all know, you know, Willie Colley Stein, a SEC defensive player of the year, two-time defensive team guy, uh, seven footer. I mean, they could definitely benefit from that, especially when you looked at what Castleton did against them. Uh, what, you know, uh, trying to think who's the other big that had a big game. KJ Williams at LSU had a big one. Uh, the Arkansas kid who yeah. did nothing all year yeah. at that Makai Mitchell, yeah. he was outstanding. Even Braylon Bridges at Georgia had a good game in Athens. And then um, I think that kid, J- Jitabo or Jaboda, I don't know his last name, the kid yeah. 33, the 6'11", 305. He had his career high with eight points, which is not a lot, but it's not a guy who should be scoring eight points against Kentucky's <laughs> front court. So, you know, uh they just need that guy. And then I think I went with Terrence Jones because he kind of fit the mold of both those things. He's a great defender. He was an enforcer and he hit some big shots when Kentucky needed him. And it was just a guy, an energy guy, you know, that Kentucky at that time didn't have. But since I wrote that article and since I asked Cal about uh, them having issues with the bench, or I guess I wrote the article before the Georgia game. So they still had one more bad game in there, but so I guess it would have been after the Arkansas game I came up with that. But, uh, yeah, it was just kind of something fun. Again, I was concerned that, you know, these games would not – there would be some apathy that creeped in. But uh, to Kentucky's credit, they have completely righted the ship. At least it looks like it this time because uh, you never know with this team. <laughs> it's just one of those years where anything could happen. But, man, the fact that when I wrote that, they had one quad one win and they're up to five. I mean, it's – it's an outstanding stretch, and you got to give credit to Cal Perry uh, for keeping the team together. You got to keep give credit to obviously the players, especially I think uh, Chris Livingston. Mike, I'm, we'll have to talk about him, man. He has been it's an unbelievable jump. <laughs> it's just remarkable. And uh, Oscar, I think, has been a little bit better on the defensive end lately. Obviously, had a great scoring night last night. And I think the guy who doesn't get enough love, man, is Jacob Toppin. What we all know what he went through early in the year. He looked so miserable at that Missouri game. Uh, he obviously turned it on the uh, uh, the Louisville game, but I mean, he's, he's in double figure scoring 11 games in a row. He's at six double doubles in SEC play. You know, he started the year three for 22 from three and he is 10 for 19 in SEC play. I mean, he's been a whole different player. Uh, so you got to give him so much credit. And obviously, you know, Oscar, the last two games hasn't had his best rebounding games. He's done a good job on offense. I think a little bit better on defense, but you look at Toppin and Chris, you would never know that Oscar only had four rebounds last night. I mean, they out I think they out rebounded Florida 41 to 20 and Oscar had four rebounds. Can you imagine thinking that before the year you were given that stat line? Okay. They out rebounded an SCC team by 21 and Oscar only had four of those rebounds. Yeah, I mean, hard. right. I mean, Chris Livingston at 15, he's 6'6". Six, six. He's 6'6". Six, six. I mean, and then Toppin had 11. I mean, it, it's amazing the production they're getting out of the front court, and it's not just Oscar. And I think, you know, eventually, and Oscar brought this up last night, and it was a really good point. You know, teams right now are still double and tripling him when the ball goes up in the air. They are boxing him the hell out they're going to have to start respecting Jacob Hobbs and Chris Livingston now. Yeah. And that's going to make Oscar dangerous again as a rebounder. So there's a lot of good things going right now. Um, I, the other thing with basketball, and I'd be interested to hear your guys take on it. And I, I think at this point, it is more important that they get severe Wheeler back than CJ Frederick. And it's not a slight against CJ Frederick, 
But Casein Wallace is getting tired. You see it, man. He is. He's been the. You know, he played the whole sec. They all played the whole second half. The starting lineup did last night, but there's a lot of pressure on Casein Wallace. Adu Thiero is a good kid. I think he works really hard. He's made some hustle plays. He is not a point guard, and he is not ready to play at this level yet. I think that was the plan all along, and he's just not ready yet. And they got no other – they're not going to pull Antonio Reeves off the ball, especially – or put Antonio Reeves on the ball, especially with CJ out. So they got no other option other than to ride Kaysen, and that's why I think you're seeing his shot has not fallen the last couple of games. I think it's just his legs are are tired. We all know he has the back issue, so – I think it's really important they get Severe Wheeler back at some point because if you have, you know, even if Severe is only giving you 10 minutes, if you can get Kaysen eight to nine minutes the rest of the game, I think that'll make a huge difference and get his shot back going. And then the front court's playing out of their mind. Antonio Reeves has been steady. I mean, this is this is the team. It's the results you envisioned going into the year. And I think they're just doing it in a little bit of a different way. But at the end of the day, all that matters are, are W's and, and they're stacking them right now. And Kentucky's not going to, you know, shoot a ton of threes anyway. No, know, not not with Cal. Know. Not as long as Cal's alive. You're you're kind of getting the, <laughs> the threes by committee. You know, like you, you don't have CJ there. Right. Reeves. Livingston is stepping out and hitting the field. Toppin's hitting. Toppin's Toppin can shoot, hitting shoot them all, man. So you, that's kind of offsetting what CJ mm-hmm. is giving you. And he went through his slumps as well. He he couldn't buy one. He's, he, he, he was through a little period of time. Yeah, and he had the finger, and then he, so it just hasn't worked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and look, he's you know he's just been nicked up uh, past couple of years since he's been here. Yeah, yeah. so. And if he comes back and is able to give you something great, but they're kind of filling that void from deep without him right now. So yes. that's good. They could Go use him more your... on defense than offense right now. Yeah. I, I think. And back to your your article to, to pick three, I, we were similar. You know, you had yeah, we were. So did I. I had Willie <laughs> just because Willie could switch and guard every position on the floor. Oh yeah, I mean he was the one. Of the, he might have been the best defender other than AD of the Cal era. Yeah, put him. He, in he, play, he was a pretty pretty good high school football player too. Yeah. Sure was. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You put him in pick and rolls, and he's guarding a six two point guard, and it, it didn't even matter. So you, know, you put him, where, you put him out on freak. an island. I sold up on a point guard, and he. Yeah. I'm gonna stay in front of this dude. Yeah, it, it, it no, he was matter. a freak. And yeah. I picked DeAndre Liggins. This was right. pre, this was pre Livingston becoming what he is because oh my gosh, it's, yeah, it's crazy to think. Is it that simple? That is it just does it just a matter of having that dog in him? Maybe it is because we all kind of thought Toppin was really gonna break out. You know, based on the way he had been incrementally progressing, each he played year. great in the SEC tournament. Yeah. yeah, this might this is gonna be his year. He's still not really like mean and aggressive as you would hope. So right. maybe maybe he could use a little more dog. But Chris uh, has it. Yes, and so we're seeing it with Livingston, and that's all DeAndre Liggins did was go out there and mm. be a dog. I'm gonna guard the best player. I don't care who it is. And then if he hit a three and stuff. It was gravy when he yes. gave you stuff on offense. Yeah, Livingston is like Liggins with a little better offense. That's what yeah. that's the way he's 
this is the way he's trending right now. Yeah, it, it has been unreal. I mean, and Cal compared it to Shea Gilgis Alexander, and obviously they play different positions, but I get I get the point because you know, Shea Chris started the year. I can't remember if he was the starter at all at the beginning of the year. I think he was for a bit, but obviously Shea came in, he's the backup point guard to Quad A Green, and he yeah, you couldn't sit him. <laughs> I mean, he ended up being the best player on that team, uh, even better than Kevin Knox, in my opinion. And uh, Chris, I don't know if he's ever going to be the best player on a team that has Oscar Shibway on it, but mm, I, he's he plays with the most energy. <laughs> he plays with the most dog. He yeah. he works harder than anyone on that team, man. I mean, it has been – I w- my whole thing with him is I always saw the potential. I thought it was going to be Bryce Hopkins 2.0 where he doesn't get enough playing time next year. You look at the class coming in. It might be, you know, the playing time might be questionable again next year. He's going to go somewhere else. He's going to be a star. Now I'm like, is this kid going to be here? Cause he's going to be in the draft <laughs> or is he, you know, what, what's his deal next year going to be? Cause this kid is, uh, it's unbelievable, man. He's six, six and he's grabbing 15 rebounds. I, I know Florida was out without Castleton, but no, there's not many guys who are six six grabbing fifteen rebounds in an SEC in a D one in any level of basketball. There, it's just any level of high level basketball. It's not happening much. And as a scorer, I think the biggest difference from him is, yeah, you know, his three point shot. He'll give it to you a little bit if he's open. He hits him. At the beginning of the year, his biggest struggle was he would he would you know try to take a guy on the dribble. He would either miss horribly, rush the shot up, or he just would never get it up. Now he's getting it up and he's making it, whether it's over you, whether it's making you miss, he is putting putting the ball on the ground, going to the hoop, and he's scoring. And he looks like a big guy doing it. And he's 6'6. Six, six. And the re the offensive rebound he had, he won the game yesterday. I mean, that game was ridiculous. Where <laughs> every time, you know, Florida to their credit, man, without Castleton, they just dug out of every hole. Kentucky's up 15. Florida takes the lead into halftime. Kentucky starts the second half on like an 8-0 run. It's Florida goes back up by one. I mean, Florida, they refused to lose, to quote Cal yesterday. And the game, I think it got back to four points. Maybe it was even three points. And you got a minute and a half left. Uh, Reeves misses a wide-open three. Who's right there? Chris Livingston. He puts it in and draws a foul. Jumps over a defender, grabs the rebound. Just That is... It's special, man. It is really what he's been doing has been – it's been as fun to watch as any Kentucky player individually probably since, you know, what Quickly and Richards did. Obviously what Oscar did last year, but just the fact that you had the offensive element to it. It's as fun as we've seen in a little bit. It's been a it's been a real treat to watch Chris Livingston and how hard he plays. It's been – and it's been, you know, all three of these games that they've won, he's played a – he's had two double-doubles in it in them he had the double double against Tennessee he had the um double double last night and against Mississippi State he got pulled out early in the first half because he kept allowing backdoor buckets comes back in the second half and he played like he has been these last two games I mean he could have had a double double if he played the way he did in the first half you know against Mississippi State and he had a similar play I know he hit a couple free throws to ice the game against State, and I think he had an offensive rebound in there too uh, where he drew a foul. I mean, he's just been a beast, and it's hard to believe he's doing it at 6'6", which, yeah, it's taller than the average human, but he's jumping over guys who are taller than him. He's out-rebounded. You know, Oscar going into the Tennessee game had only been out-rebounded by a teammate twice in his UK career, and I think it was – I know one was definitely topping. I think they were both topping. 
now it's been, you know, Toppin and Chris both did it to him last night, and Chris has done it two games in a row. So it's really special what that kid's doing. I don't I don't even know where y'all start when it comes to picking like top three guys at, you know out of cows. <laughs> I know I, there's so many of them. Yeah, I don't it's even hard. Like, that's really, why really? and that's why I made the rule like no obvious ones, like no cat, no AD, no I even would say kid Gilchrist is a little too any of the guys were like top three picks, like get out of here. That that doesn't yeah. count. <laughs> Willie Willie Collistein came in um in my class. And I remember yes. one day we were all in the wreck playing basketball. I'm like, how the hell do you get a shot over this? Like, <laughs> how, how, how do you get a shot over this? I mean, first of all, he, he's quick. You know, he can move mm-hmm. laterally. He got good lateral quickness, good short area quickness, good bounce, quick bounce. He's seven foot tall with super long arms. I'm like, how do you get – like, that's why I have so much respect and admiration for guys like uh, Steph Curry and – Chris Paul and the shorter guys in the league who can get their shots off. I'm like, how do I get, cause I play high school basketball, but I didn't play my senior year. So I remember this is my freshman year. I was one, I was two years removed from actually playing basketball. They had some of the, some of the guys were in there playing football and basketball guys. And I'm like, I don't even know how to get my, I mean, I, I can't get my shot off down here. It's ridiculous. You know, is you literally getting your shot off amongst trees. So uh, I, he would have to be in one of my, you have to be one of my top three guys too. Just just yeah. all sure athleticism and size. I mean, you, you're gonna get consistent play from him just off what he brings to the table. So, uh, but yeah, I can't even start to pick the last two. I don't know where you know. I don't know where to start. Yeah. And it was the thing about it, like you said, Jalen. You you know, if you go and play pickup or go to the park in your town or whatever, and you you get to cooking and and having a good game, and you know, think you something. Then when you're in front of a legit high-level college NBA player who can be three or four steps off of you in case and play your drive and can still get to your shot. Yeah, that's you, you yeah, have nothing. Just, you have yeah. you think you something until you run up on somebody that that's yeah. can do that. And so like you you I'm with you, man. To to have respect for somebody that can attack that and score on that and you know use the angles to to offset all of the advantages this guy has, it is crazy, man. It's crazy. I'm, I'm six. I'm six two. This dude tends to <laughs> tend to taller than I foot. have. Ain't much I can do. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I think it was Kevin Durant when he was with Golden State. Uh, you know what? No, I, I found it now. It was a uh, Draymond Green, and I remember he said that even though they were terrible, the Sacramento Kings were the hardest team to play because he had to deal with the speed that Willie Cauley Stein had, and no big in the NBA could move like that. And that was, you know, it's not like he had the greatest NBA career, Willie, but that that just tells you a guy who doesn't get, you know, we all know Draymond Green, he doesn't give much respect out. <laughs> There's not much of that with that guy. And I remember him, you know, kind of talking about how Willie is one of the toughest guys to face in the Kings with, you know, they had De'Aaron Fox at that point as well uh, with their speed. It just brings a whole different element. And Kentucky, man, if they had a guy just with half the speed of Willie did at that size defending this year, uh, it, it's a whole different team because, you know, as annoying as it is that the offense kind of is, you know, I know they hit 82 last night, but yeah. I, I th- that was their highest SEC total. For the most part, they're mid to high 60s, low 70s. And it's frustrating because you see Alabama goes out and scores 100 every night. You see 
uh, Mizzou's explodes. I mean, it, it's frustrating, but the efficiency numbers are really good because they take they don't take that many shots. They're kind of like we were talking about. They don't take that many threes. They they find their shot and they take their time. So they're a very efficient offense. But you look at the defensive efficiency and some of the defensive numbers, and it's going to end up being the least efficient defense of the Cal era. So, and that's a, I think a lot of that can be attributed to. You know, Oscar having a down defensive year, Toppin not being that aggressor on defense that, you know, we kind of were expecting going into the year. Uh, and Chris is still, you know, a freshman. He makes a lot of mistakes on the defensive end. It's more so the rebounding and offense that's kind of, you know, re- got him going here. But, uh, you know, this is not a great defensive team that could really, really use a presence uh, that hopefully next year Aaron Bradshaw is going to bring. Um, I think that's exactly the type of guy they need. It's just a matter of will it pan out. Uh-huh. And, you know, to your point, Aaron, about, you know, Oscar, like you said, he said last night, teams are still, you know, trusting yeah. him and boxing him out. Well, Jalen, that's, that's going to get to a point where eventually it's like, you know, you, you double and triple team in Aaron Donald, well, everybody else on that D-line should be feasting. And yes. now Toppin is, and Livingston and all these guys Stepping up and taking advantage of, you know, one-on-one matchups or not getting looked at at all in the scouting report. And now they can they can step up and make teams play. Yeah, I said if, if, if you know, it seems like ever since I've been watching Cal coach at Kentucky, if they are hitting shots, they're one of the best teams in the yeah. Top five. If they can consistently hit shots. Now, this team top five, I don't know, but if they can consistently hit shots, they give themselves a chance to make a run. I really Absolutely. believe that because – you know, you got a guy like Oscar, you know, in there. I mean, you take a lot of pressure off him as far as scoring. And you can, you know, you know, he has the awareness to kick the ball back out and, and move the ball around. And guys are, you know, hitting open shots. It's just take, I mean, obviously we see, you know, now they're an extreme example. But the the, 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 new, uh, the Golden State Warriors, I mean, mm-hmm. you're hitting shots, man. It's just. It's almost like, you know, when you're not hitting shots, it's like an offense that can only run the ball. Right. Know? The only offense that I've seen win bowl games that can only run the ball is Kentucky. So uh, <laughs> you know, got to be able to you got to be able to throw the ball around and you got to be able to hit shots. You got to be multidimensional. Uh, if they can do that, I mean, I think now you, you'll start to see Oscar have even bigger games because the pressure's not all on him. You know, when you got, you know, the whole team focusing on you because you're the guy. Uh, but you got three other guys who will hit an open shot. That changes the ball game. Now guys got more energy on defense. You know, it's just a it's a snowball effect, you know. So yeah. um, hopefully they can keep that up and get guys healthy and hit shots. Um, and hopefully they get those guys back, you know, rather soon so they can kind of get the chemistry back where it needs to be. Because every time you get a new guy back up in the lineup, you got to almost recalibrate the chemistry. Mm-hmm. Got, some guys are getting more touches. Some guys getting less touches. Guys are guarding different positions, so it, it changes. So um, hopefully they can, you know, they can keep that up. Yeah, that's a great point, and it's it's funny you said that about the chemistry. It, uh, Cal even mentioned like, you know, when CJ and Severe get back, like they they're not taking time from Chris Livingston. That's kind of what it looked like it was going to be, right? Uh, that's kind of what it was. Chris was only playing like 19 minutes a game, and a lot of those minutes were CJ's. I know they would both start together, but you'd quickly put Antonio in, and Antonio was your sixth guy off the bench, and it was kind of Chris the odd man out. So, and you know, we had that for a while, their most efficient lineup. You know, Chris wasn't in it. 
Uh, that's never going to happen again this year. <laughs> that's just not going to happen. Chris is always going to be on the floor as much as possible. And, uh, you know, he played 39 minutes last night and uh, he played his best ball at the very end of the game. So it's going to be really interesting to see what what the rotation looks like, you know, when those two guys are back. Uh, I'm, again, I, I do think it's really, really important uh, they get Severe Wheeler back. It obviously would be great to have CJ too, but I do think Severe is probably the more important of the two uh, just because of the fast break ability he gives you, um, but more so importantly to get Case and Wallace a blow every now and then and not have to put pressure on a Duthiero. But the other thing, man, and the fact that they're playing this way right now and you, know, you talk about the potential, if they keep hitting shots and all that good stuff, if you're going to pick a year to have a slow start and make the tournament, it doesn't matter where you are. It is this year. I mean, college basketball is wide open. And I I was saying on the radio show Monday, and I don't want to get too far into the rabbit hole with this Alabama situation, but I I said uh, on the big blue insider Monday that I do every Monday with Dick Gabriel, um, that the only team in the country I would go into the NCAA tournament afraid of, if Kentucky is playing the way they are right now, is Alabama <laughs> because they have they just pl- do everything. They, they're the best team in the country, in my opinion. Uh, and we'll see what happens, you know, with the distraction, everything going on. If there's any, hopefully, some some movement being made and guys having to sit out, whatever. Um, but it, it it's a wide open field. I mean, there's just no matchup where I'd go in. And it goes both ways. I mean, you could say, you know, Kentucky's not that great, and anyone they play could feel good about beating them. And, and I'd agree with that. But same goes with this UK team, man. If As long as you get in this year, uh, you have a pretty good shot, in my opinion, if you're kind of like one of those 1 through 12 seats. I mean, really, this is it's going to be a nuts year. I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee, if they run into a good offensive team, if they go down first weekend, if not first round. Uh, Purdue, the way they always play in the tournament, wouldn't be surprised if they're gone after the first weekend i mean it is going to be i think kansas is probably kind of trending in that alabama toward territory where i think they're really elite and probably a little bit above everybody else but the fact there's only like one or two of those teams uh it just says a lot this is a it's kind of similar to 2014 which is a really good year to compare to and kentucky hopes to have where it was a wide open field and UK got really, really blessed with having a Wichita state team that hadn't really gotten tested and they were able to poke them out. Um, I'm not, maybe if they match up with Houston as the one that could happen uh, because the American athletic conference is not good at basketball anymore. Uh, That's part of the reason Houston's heading to the big 12. So it's going to be really, really fascinating to see uh, how the bracket looks, but uh, as long as you're not like in a one, you're not an eight or nine and you have Alabama, in the second game or Kansas in the second game. I feel good about Kentucky getting the second weekend if they play like this. This is the most uh, this is the most excited I've been to watch the yeah. NCAA tournament in years. You it's know, wide I, open. Honestly, like the last two years, I've been like, uh, if I catch it, I'll catch it. I was in I was in New Jersey uh last year during the SEC tournament and I started to watch it and I started to get captivated by it. And I watched the game. It was as many games as I can, but I mm-hmm. wasn't looking forward to watching it. But this year, I'm actually looking forward to watching the games because I know anything can literally anything can happen, you know, this year. So uh, I think you got about, you know, I think you got about 14 teams in America that could potentially make a run for the next championship game. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I really do believe that. And you got in, in, in six or seven of them, probably six, maybe five reside in the SEC. 
Um, <laughs> you know, so you know, I, I'm I'm anxious to see what happened um, because, it, it, like I said, anything can happen, and that's just this is the most fun time of the year, really, when, if you're a basketball fan. Yeah, it, it is. It is going to be the NCAA tournament's going to be like. I hope anyone filling out a bracket, including probably all three of us, it's it's they're going to be ugly. They're going to be ugly because it is just. Uh, you never know, man. I've never seen a year where one there's just not that team where even like 2019, and I know they didn't win. You went into that season and you were like, yeah, Duke, Zion, Barrett. Reddish, they're winning it all. Like, no one's touching them. And obviously, it didn't go that way. I think that was the year Virginia came back and won after they were bounced by a 16. But there's just not that team this year. And again, I think it might be Alabama. We'll see what happens. Uh, Kansas is pretty damn good. But like you said, Jalen, there really are like 14 teams in this country, a lot in the SEC, a lot in the Big 12 uh that can that can do damage and i wouldn't be surprised if some you know some of those teams in the big east too uh like a yukon like a xavier like a providence can make a run marquette even uh it's gonna be uh, ucla is really good i mean it's just gonna be yeah it's gonna be mass chaos you're gonna have uh, again the brackets are gonna be ugly but it's more fun that way in my opinion yeah and you gotta get uh which Aaron, we we did episode with with Travis Reed, yeah. who played for UCLA, and I'm gonna go on the record, got to get him back on here because he was talking <laughs> trash. You know, UCLA won, and then and I p- like, I picked UCLA. He's like, oh, you're just being nice to me. I'm like, no, you, you <laughs> no. wait. Kentucky's not in a good place right now. No, <laughs> they were UCLA won, and then he was ripping me. He said, see, you ain't you didn't have me back on because the Bruins <laughs> won. So I'm gonna have him back on over the next few weeks to chop it up. With him him. Time, that yeah. way he can't keep saying, hey, you're yeah. not having me on because UCLA beat Kentucky. So they would have played in the. They would have played. What is it? I can't remember if it would have been the Elite Eight or Sweet 16 last year if Kentucky had taken care of business. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely. This this year's winding down. You got Auburn, Vanderbilt, and then that trip to Fayetteville, which um, is not going to be easy. Won't be as daunting if they keep playing like this. But if, if, no. if when they played in Lexington, it looked like, wow, they're going to get blown out when they go back to mm. Fayetteville. Even worse than the fifteen point game it was in Lexington. Yeah, it didn't look pretty. But, and uh, you yeah. said it, Aaron. They've they've started to turn the corner once, lost at home in South Carolina, and then they beat yeah. Tennessee, let go of the rope again, and then they had to yeah. refocus. And it's been such a weird. It's been crazy. The only reason I'm a little, I'm more optimistic this time is is number twenty four, Chris Livingston. I mean, they didn't have this. They didn't have this type of of threat uh, when they were going through the struggles, you know, after, when they lost that game to Arkansas, they lose to Georgia. I mean, remember that Georgia game, Chris was taken out because he could not defend in that game. They just they were going back door on him all day. And he has been well, these last three games. If they get this Chris Livingston the rest of the way, they they're a threat, man. They're a legit threat. And, you know, looking at those last three games, you know, Vanderbilt was starting to look pretty scary. And then they laid that egg against LSU. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that that kind of did that. But, you know, Auburn's not playing well. Uh, The one thing that Auburn has is the the big from Moorhead uh, that Kentucky actually recruited. Ended up going to Auburn out of the transfer portal. Uh, I think it's, is it Bromie? Bromie? 
trying to think of his name off the top of my head, but he is one of the better bigs in the SEC. So be interesting to see how Oscar Sheboy can handle him. Uh, Vanderbilt is going to be, <laughs> it's going to be the biggest senior night in Calipari's time. One of that he had like six seniors. Uh, you're not even going to be able to get Brandon Canada a start. Maybe uh, they'll probably figure it out. Yeah. Uh, usually you get the walk on a start. So it's going to be, and I guess Brandon got put on scholarship. So we'll see what happens on senior night. Uh, and it's also going to be kind of weird because guys could come back because of that COVID year. So uh, we'll see what happens there. And then, yeah, like you said, the trip to Fayetteville, which, um, you know, could only at this point, if as long as you don't screw up again, now that Auburn's going to be a quad two and Vanderbilt, you know, that Arkansas game will just be for seeding. So, you know, obviously it'd be big to win it. Won't be the end of the world if you lose it, but as long as Kentucky goes two and one, uh, they will be the number three seed in the SEC tournament, and that's a pretty good spot to be. Yeah, yeah, you'll take it. You'll take it. Especially because AM, I like AM, but Kentucky matches up well with AM, and I feel like they could handle them in a two three matchup there. And already, already beat them once. And... Right. That's a good matchup. Now, February 28th through March the 6th, NFL Combine. So when we reconvene next week when we got another Wednesday basketball yeah hopefully we'll get to talk a lot of Will Levis because we have not seen him throw a ball we have not seen him do anything since that Louisville game right right so uh see what he's gonna do and and looks like it's set up whatever he does I mean he'll probably wow him at the combine I hope so size strength interviews he's gonna interview well he's gonna check all the boxes there's still those out there Trying to diminish him because it's Kentucky uh, and Kentucky's still on the national yeah. scene. People think negatively about <laughs> that. So you got oh, if if, if Will Levis uh, goes above, I remember when Josh Wyoming, above, above. Josh hey. Allen was from Wyoming. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be Josh Allen. That's a very high bar, but uh, yeah, it doesn't always result uh, that way. I mean, well, look. Yeah, Jared Goff like never had a winning record in college, and I'm not saying he's a star, but he's a serviceable NFL quarterback that took a team to a Super Bowl. Like if he has a Jared Goff career, it's pretty damn good. He's a good NFL quarterback. He had a good year. Yeah, he did have a really good year. He had a resurgent year, and so look, he he doesn't have. I know people are gonna bust on him, like you said, Vinny. Kentucky doesn't have that national, you know, respect uh, that you know. Ohio State and Alabama do, and those are the guys he's going up against. But uh, I just I want to see him do well. He he was he's an easy kid to root for, an easy kid to like when you're around him as much as I was able to the last year. Yeah, yeah, I think he'll I think he'll uh, he'll he'll do well. He'll wow people, like you said. He gonna he gonna do well in those in those interviews. If I had to guess, he won't run. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised. If that I, doesn't I had to guess he won't run. He won't jump. He won't do any of the field drills. He'll throw. Um, and they'll come to the pro day, and he'll throw. He'll 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 put himself in the first quarterback pick after the draft. I really do believe that. And I think so too. Because they'll love the way. I mean, you know, they love, you know, what he's done so far as intangibles, his tangibles, uh, you know, kind of the leadership and all of that. So he'll put himself in that in that first. And then you, now you got you know people talking about Anthony Richardson potentially being a first first quarterback pick. I don't see that. Uh, I, it's I, not. I, I, I've never seen it. You know, I, I just I would have loved for him to do one more year at Florida, yeah, man. I, I said the same thing. Yeah, I said the same thing. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. I think uh yeah, I think if you know all that stuff will go well for him. This is, you know, this is set up for him to, you know, potentially 
get drafted first, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, first quarterback off the board. So yeah, I was on the I was on a Texans podcast today. They got the second pick in the draft, and they wanted they had me on asking all the Will Levis questions, just mm-hmm. all the stuff about him, and so this is where we are because it it could be it could you know, Aaron, we thought. With the way things were with your Giants, we thought Daniel Jones was gonna have a bad year. We thought your Giants would be in position to be looking ah, to take him. He's and, gonna make Kirk Cousins money, yeah. and he deserves it. Yeah, after so, they are ahead. You know, the Texans. Boy, they're, 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 yeah, yeah. These, <laughs> these, <laughs> these these people in all these cities who have high draft picks. You know, Levis is gonna be right there yeah, the, on their on their lips. They're gonna be yeah. Sad. And I'm sure we'll we'll get to it a lot more when the draft gets closer, but it's going to be really interesting to see what the Bears do at that top spot and how that affects, you know, what happens with Will. Because, you know, I assume they're going to hang on to Justin Fields. I feel like that, you know, they're not going to – it's a pretty big gamble. Uh, I know he has to get better as a passer, but he's a pretty special athlete. They'd be pretty dumb to move off him after two years. Um, assuming they trade that pick, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see – one, who moves up, and two, what guy they're moving up for, and if it's Will or not, and if it isn't Will, like, does it make it the guy for the Texans? Does he, you know, does he fall a little bit? It's going to be, it's just going to be so intriguing. It's uh, it's definitely a different feel when you have the quarterback of the team you covered slash, uh, you know, went to school, watched. It, it, it is going to be, it's going to be cool. It's a bit, I think it's a huge day, really, not just for Will, most importantly Will, but just for the U.K. program as a whole. Uh, I think I don't think Devin Leary's here without what Will Lovis did. I really don't. For sure. And y'all talked about another year if if Anthony Richardson had come back yeah. another year in Florida. I told them on the podcast, you know, a lot of people are going to want to judge Will Levis based off of last year under Scangarello and it's just going to look at the decline in the numbers and look at him on the surface. Look at him on his first year and I lean towards Imagine if he'd had another year under Liam going and yeah. more receivers. All he had was one deal. You imagine what could have been and that's, really more so the offensive line, could've... man. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. had three, you had three NFL players on that offensive line right. in that first year, including exactly. the best center. Yeah. Look how good look how good Luke Fortner was in the NFL, let that's, alone college. That's what I told him. I said, Y'all y'all played Fortner twice a year, Ben Texas, man. Yes. And he was he was on the line blocking for Levis. Levis last year under Scangarello and another Texans analogy, I said, you know, the offensive line was terrible. Last year would put y'all in the mind of y'all's first year under David Carr when he got sacked a billion times yeah. the first year that the Texans were franchised. That's what was going on here last year. And, you know, they kind of knew what I was talking about. Cause... Can, I give you, can I give you a scary thought? D'Amico Ryans and Rich Scangarello have worked together. What if, uh, you know, D'Amico Ryan still has a quarterback's coach? Slot open. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know I Rich. I I heard Rich interviewed for the offense coordinator job at Boston College. I I think that's already been filled elsewhere. But uh, yeah, man. I I mean, I was I've just been kind of thinking about where you know Rich could have his one year and then go somewhere else. You know, that's what he likes to do. And you know, he was with the Mako Ryan's in San Francisco. Houston needs a QB coach, and they just hired an offensive coordinator from that San Francisco staff who was with Skang as well. So I don't know, man. I, I can see that. I can see that happen. And I, again, 
I think he's a. I think he'll be a better pro coach in college. I think um, he. I think so too. His style. I think he is. Way, yeah. Yeah. He. He's a. He's a. You know. He's a better pro coach. I mean, he's just not. From what I. Man. I never met the guy before. And I heard and what I can see. Not. Really you heard his SEC comment, person. right? Yeah. He said he didn't know how hard it was going to be in the SEC. I mean, he's an NFL coach. He he understands the NFL. He knows how hard that is. He didn't understand that the SEC is. If there was a triple, if there was a triple A, man, if there was a triple A, that's what the SEC is. Yeah. You know, yeah. So we'll see. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. So we'll, depending on when we record next week, we might have some combine day one or two to talk about. Yeah. Uh, Got another Wednesday basketball game, but we'll, we'll be back next week to. Last one. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. So. Uh, we'll be back to chop it up again and, and talk a little football, a little basketball, a little all things UK like we do, man. Appreciate Aaron Gershon, Jalen Whitlow, bringing the knowledge each and every time. Y'all continue to check out each and every episode, and we'll be back with another one next week. For the fellas, this is Vinny Hardy. It's been another episode of Believe in Kentucky, and we'll catch y'all next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube